Welcome back to Library Media Chatter, the podcast for old adults who love young adult literature. Uh, as always, I am Dan Wright, librarian at Melville and Oakville High School. And with me is Greg Baum, librarian at Rockwood Summit High School. So glad to be back with you, Greg. Yeah, this is great. It's good. End of the summer, or well, end of summer break. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good time getting everything <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's jump right in. I know the people come for the small talk, they but love we it. have a lot to cover today. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump right in. Greg, what are you reading? Well, I am reading a book by one of my favorite authors. It is Robert McFarlane, and the book is called Underland. And he has four or five books now, and he is a, he's English. He is a fellow at Cambridge University. He writes about nature and kind of the intersection of nature and cultural history. So I call him a nature writer, but it's probably a little more complicated than that. So the book I am reading right now is called Underland, and it's about different ways humans have conceptualized and utilized spaces and materials below the earth's surface. So it's a lot about caves, <laughs> um, but it like, so there's like, in his mind, there's like, I think he divides it up into three things. And I'm going to, I'm going to forget one of them, but he talks about, you know, like, well, it's been used as a place to hide things. It's been used as a place to extract things like resources. And he has one other, um, I can't remember what it is now, but like, but it, it, the, what's really pleasurable about it is he's very smart. So, you know, like it's um, he brings in a lot of other texts and thinkers and like, issues so like one of the things he talks about is how are we disposing of nuclear waste you know well we're burying it and we're hoping that it eventually goes away but he also you know i feel like that works for most problems but yeah it's great just out of sight out of mind yeah nuclear waste and everything else yeah so he's he's real i mean he is like very much an explorer so he you know he goes down into these you know limestone caverns and on the border of croatia and he's like rappelling down these basically fissures and glaciers that are melting because of climate change and anyway very very fascinating person his other books are on mountains footpaths and oh and on the language english words for natural phenomenon that are being erased or forgotten and so really just a fascinating guy underland is his most recent one and great addition to your narrative nonfiction in a high school library. The prose is certainly at a level where, you know, upper class students could read it and enjoy it. And um, also just, you know, thoughtful enough that your faculty might also want to use it for different things. So we have it in our library because, because I wanted it, but anyway, I think it'd be a great addition. Can you say that author name one more time? Yeah. Robert. And then McFarlane is M-A-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-E. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so, As you were describing what the other books were about, like yeah. this underground stuff sounds fascinating. Mountains yeah. are always interesting. Yeah. And footpaths. Yeah. Like, what a strange. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's, and it's only footpaths in England. So it's like so it's so interesting. But like. Yep. He, um, that's gotta be like a, a two or three part book, right? That's about yeah, 18, oh yeah. 1800 pages or so yeah. on English footpaths. 
And you know what? It's so what's so funny is that's the one I read first, and I was hooked. Like then sure. I went and read all the others. It was I well, know you're making fun. You're of known me, to be a so footpath good. guy. Everybody was, that knows Greg knows that Greg loves. There's like a, a history path. of walking in there. It's so good, Dan. It's I, so good. Does he? Does it get into Scotch or Welsh footpaths, or is it only in? No, it does. It, okay, it does. I think there's even. There's even part in Ireland, oh. I think. Okay, so but like, yeah, you've got enough to fill a book then. If you're, oh yeah, it's you're doing good all stuff. the what are they called the home nations? If you're covering yeah. all of those, <laughs> I, in that one he I don't in the mountains one and in Underland he goes all over the world. I can't remember if the the he old didn't do ways. the British mountains. He he actually does. That's oh, yeah. what he got inspired. Was the sure. is it the Karen? They might be Scottish, but like the Cairngorms, I can't. I'm exposing my ignorance here. I don't know, but um, yeah, Dan, there were, there's two things people expect from you on this show. <laughs> it's a love of footpaths, yeah, and it's knowing Scottish words for things, yeah, and yeah, you you're one for two right now. <laughs> one for two, so, not bad, not bad. <laughs> All right, tell us about your book. Uh, so my book is also uh, you mentioned that McFarlane's one of your favorite authors. This is one of my favorite authors. Uh, it's a new book from Simon Rich called New Teeth. If you don't know Simon Rich, just hit pause, buy all of his books, read them, come back to this episode. I find gave a way. You gave me one of his books to read. You lent one of them to me, and I can't think of which one it was. Uh, maybe Ant Farm. Do you still have it? Because I'm no. missing Ant Farm. No, I gave so it back. It could be that one. Um, uh, Free Range Chickens. Free Range Chickens is good. Yeah. They're all the good. One. Yes. So Simon Rich was a writer on Saturday Night Live. He's written for Pixar. He writes things in, and publishes in The New Yorker. He writes a lot of short fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also written a couple of novels. He's created two TV shows. One of his novellas was turned into a Seth Rogen movie. Holy cow. So no. he's got a lot. That's of the real on. pinnacle right there yes. is that Seth Rogen movie. Well, because that story is insane. And the fact that anybody thought, you know, we're going to turn that into a film was great. <clears throat> wow. Uh, these are less so books for you to bring to your library than for you to have, because every now and then you need to take a break from young adult literature and school yeah. things yeah. and short fiction, uh, particularly Simon Rich's short fiction is perfect for that. New Teeth, the new one is very much inspired by the fact that he's now a parent. So you see different stories kind of playing out in the idea. One of them is a couple of pirates end up raising a child and they're pirates, right? They they murder people and they say are and they do whatever. <laughs> and they start, one of them starts kind of questioning the other one, letting the kid do whatever she wants. And they're like, well, we don't follow rules. We're pirates. And no, but the <laughs> child needs these things. And it kind of gets into it. Uh, one story in it is from the perspective of the elephant man's doctor. And wow. he lets his wife come to visit the elephant man so that he can socialize a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes very jealous of the elephant man. <laughs> um, uh, one of them is Babe Ruth as like rookie Babe Ruth trying out for a team. And this is based on historical fact that Babe Ruth played in, I guess, in the minors for the Orioles and the coach or the manager of the team. Uh, his son was also a rookie that year. Oh, wow. And so it's Babe Ruth talking about how excited he is to play and, 
he's he's kind of a rube and you see the coach's son who he thinks is his best friend and they get along great but the guy's not very good and so you start to see um they butt heads a little bit or there's some jealousy there there's some issues but he just takes these premises and runs with them so if you just need a little bit of a, a come down after a long day or a long week or a long block, whatever yeah. it might be, yeah. give yourself 10 minutes to read one of his stories uh, oh, and nice. you will not regret it. Nice. I, I really enjoyed I, um, the one that you lent me. And I actually found a few in there that I thought I could use in language arts classes because they're, you know, the content warnings vary yes. from story to story. So I think Very there much could so. still be some in there that um, people could use in a class or something if they wanted. Yeah, I used a couple of his when I taught sci-fi because at least very early on in his career, he wrote almost microfiction. Oh, wow. Uh, one short story was, I think, maybe eight sentences long. Oh, wow. Or, or 15 or That's so. That's amazing. That. Um, and another one <clears throat> was about, so that was a time travel story. And then there was one about, uh, what was the, the computer that played chess? Oh, is it deep Kasparov. blue? Yeah, there was like yeah. two where they put two basically like CPUs together <laughs> to kind of double up the, the processing power. Yeah. And so while they're playing chess, they realize like, why are we playing chess against this guy? And they, <laughs> they decide that they're going to take over the world and whatever. But it's all while they're playing Kasparov in chess. Oh, how funny. So it's, it's just here's a strange premise. Let's yeah. tell a crazy story. Oh, cool. Uh, just really, really, really good stuff. Oh, cool. So you've got two authors now, uh, yeah. Simon Rich and is Robert McFarland. Yes. And right. I'm going to have to look up that to get more of I, I need to get into footpaths. Yeah. I've been this saying is that all summer. <laughs> this is the summer. Of it's footpaths. really going to awaken something in you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to start exploring more. Yeah. Uh, so you have those two authors to look into yeah. uh, for yourself and your library. Yeah. All right, I think it's time for our first commercial break. All right, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the Dewey Decimal number 955, which means it's time for Northern Minnesota's favorite <laughs> game, Do We Know Our Dewey? I'm going to name books with call numbers that start with 955, and Greg is going to guess what that section is all about. And man, I hope it's not much of a guess this time. Oh boy. Highlights for this episode from the 955s include Iran by Leon Gray, part of the Countries of the World series. Iran by William Mark Habib, part of the Major Nations of the Modern Middle East series. The Iranian Revolution by Brendan January and the Iran-Iraq War by Edward Ouellette. Greg, what is the theme <laughs> of this section? Oh gosh, I hope we don't have to edit this and make it make it work. Is it Iran? It is. Okay, thank you. It is Iran, way to go. Well, I started to overthink it. I thought maybe it was like the Middle East because that last one has Iraq in the title. Yeah, and I thought, yeah that's, no. why, that's why I included it. I had oh, two other herring. books in uh, between the Oakville and Belleville libraries that have just the title Iran that nice. I left those out. I thought that would give <laughs> those, away. Those might have been overkill. I needed to add in something with a different word in it. <laughs> nice. So nice. Yeah. yeah. If you don't know, uh, and I do because we have a teacher who does for teaching 
research just wants we want you to learn the research skills so that he makes the unit very simple hmm. uh it's a country reports basically dig into a country dig into the culture yeah. kind of get an understanding of that of that country so we have a pretty robust section in the 900s of country specific books and most countries not all but most countries have their own nine whatever uh that fits just that country nice so now you know i did not know that that's great i, I believe yeah. the 950s if you had to guess probably are asia okay yeah okay and that's how it works and that yeah you heard it here first folks <laughs> so thanks to the dewey number 955 for sponsoring this episode yeah all right welcome back let's get right into it greg yeah what are you doing well we talked about in our previous episode um which everybody listened to obviously yeah they probably (laughs) just they listened to it for the eighth time in preparation for this one yeah good uh good so there won't be any spoilers that we talked about canvas briefly in our last one and talked about how in our school district we have been we have i think fully by this point transitioned to canvas 2020 to 2021 school year everyone was expected to have a canvas landing page at the bare minimum and that included the library. So for the first time ever, we had a really a direct line of communication to students and parents through this Canvas course because our parents were also enrolled in all of the same courses as our students. And our students were enrolled in library courses by grade level. So there was a ninth grade Canvas course, a 10th grade Canvas course, an 11th grade Canvas course, and a 12th grade Canvas course. And one what... Dan and I thought we would talk about today is how our how Rockwood has been using the Rockwood librarians have been using Canvas, and I'm just going to talk about the secondary level. Um, <clears throat> we would love to have an elementary or middle school librarian come on and talk about what they've been doing, but I, I shouldn't have even said secondary. I should say high school because they do fairly different things with Canvas from what I understand than what we have done at the high school level. But so I'll talk about the high school level today. And I think Dan's gonna interrogate me as we go. Yeah, no, I yeah. this is a this segment of what are you doing is going to look a little bit different. I'm not doing anything but asking great questions <laughs> and taking notes right now. Uh, I am not there's nothing going on in my world that's uh, that's more interesting than what we're going to get out of this. Um, I would be fascinated to see because elementary has to be drastically different yeah. than what we're doing just because of what's expected of them yeah. in their scheduling. From what uh, I understood, yeah. Well, so in the, the Rockwood Elementary Librarians, I don't want to misspeak here, but they're either on a fixed schedule or on a mostly fixed. So I don't want to commit myself because I'm not 100% sure, but they are teaching every class once a week, you know, on a, on a schedule. And um I know that they were putting lessons on Canvas that the kids were doing during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, which is not how we used it at, sec- at the high school. Okay. Yeah. So can you give us a, a, you started by saying it gave you a direct line of communication yeah. to parents and students. Yeah. Um, what kinds of things are you communicating? Because I'm trying yeah. to think of what we've done and how we've tried to get info out. What kind <clears throat> of things are you sending out that way? 
Yeah, mostly they were programming items. And so um, what what's nice about Canvas, if you're not familiar with it, is Canvas has kind of multiple ways that it communicates with students. So Canvas has its own internal inbox where students can receive messages. And then they also, at least initially, have Canvas sending them emails containing the messages they receive in Canvas or announcements that are posted in classes they're enrolled in, things like that. So uh, that combined with the student, the parents also being enrolled meant that we had a way to initially, until students turned it off, send them an email, right? Um, or send the parents an email. And so, you know, it's true. I mean, I know I can't imagine a world right. in which anybody was turning off those notifications. Right? Yeah. So uh, what we were mostly doing is programming. So we do like um, a reading marathon or like when we were doing, we did some trivia contests or when we were doing, um, I don't know, we did like a Memorial Day, uh, like veteran interview project that was tremendously successful. Not a single package got picked up, oh. <laughs> but you know, it's the end of the school year. People yeah. were, had other things on their mind, but you know, things like that were primarily what we communicated. We also did send out um, some of our virtual makerspace content through that because we were pushing that pretty hard when we were an all virtual learning. And then we also um, sent out our student surveys through the Canvas platform because it was our best way to get some. We used to ask teachers to have to just distribute the link, right? And have them kids do it in class. And usually it was language arts teachers who did it for us. But this allowed us to kind of cut out the middleman. And um, so those were the uh, those were the communication elements that we used. Um, was there anything else that we were going to talk about there? I'm trying to remember. So I think that side of it makes sense to me. So you're, you're kind of not having to do like all student emails. You can put right. stuff out through canvas in a place right. that they'll be every day. Right. And ho- like you said, hopefully nobody turns off those notifications <laughs> right. or whatever. Right. I assume they're all automatically enrolled in the mm-hmm. library, like whatever grade level you're in, mm-hmm. you're put in that automatically. Yes. So that wasn't like a, you guys having to figure out who's who or what's what. No, in our first year that we did this, we didn't even differentiate the content. So really, we had four identical classes. We could have had one, but we wanted at least the option to differentiate. Um, so if if for whatever reason it was a, you know, credit wise, they were still a sophomore, but they were in their junior yep. year, it didn't really make a difference where they ended up because the content was the same on each of the four courses. Um, Do you foresee that changing? In the future, as you move forward, there are things that you've seen where you go, and we can talk about what some of that yeah. content is. Yeah, uh, if that's easier to to jump in from there and then kind of see. What yeah, happens. I mean, I I certainly want it to at least be an option, but I've had a hard time visualizing what that would look like because even though our teachers have, you know, do work in these PLC models where they're trying or encouraged to do similar or aligned projects and content and those things there's still a pretty wide range of how (laughs) what that actually looks like in practice and so when we've done lessons like we were dan and i were talking about this before um we started recording but like when we've done lessons on research or lessons on book selection even though we had materials on canvas about those items we still 
kind of tailored a lesson to that class and to what that teacher wanted rather than just saying, oh yeah, we already did that. The video's on Canvas, you know, because A, we want people to still come to us and ask us to create content, you know, and collaborations with them. But B, because no matter how much we hear from administration that the gradebook should look the same and the content should be the same, the reality is that that's just not what happens, right? And so, um, yeah. So anyway, I don't know what, I guess I don't know entirely what it would look like to differentiate by grade level, because even at that level, there's so much happening that's not the same, that's not uniform. Yeah. yeah. Is Canvas now for you, or do you foresee it in the future being a place where you would have like a science folder? Mm. Although that wouldn't even necessarily make sense within a grade because mm-hmm. ninth graders could be taking any number of classes, 10th graders, whatever. But like, yeah. here's the, if you're a science teacher, here's where I'm putting this stuff in Canvas, or is that kind of still a Canvas is no. more for those general kind of resources that kids may need for basic understanding for databases and book selection and that kind of stuff, but you're kind of personalized for the teacher, for the class units Mm -hmm. don't really exist in Canvas in that same way. Well, I could certainly see, you know, and, and I don't know that I've had a teacher yet who didn't want to have more control than I did. Does that make sense? Like usually they prefer for us to give them something that they can distribute or control. So I haven't had an experience yet where it would make sense for me to, for me to post it, even though the kids are equally able to access it. But your question is interesting about the kind of departmental angle right now, because it, it has been student focused, that hadn't even occurred to me. And so I, because I, I, I guess we when and I will be the I will be up front and tell you that other librarians in our district develop these materials. I just kind of can talk about how we use them. Sure. But from what I understand, the goal was that this was going to be kind of student facing materials okay. without, I guess, without the angle of like, here's how this might help you in this kind of class. OK, so and that's not generalized just, kind of library yeah. and whatever yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. OK. But I like that idea. I just need to think about it. I need to think about it some more. If I'm a teacher and I log into Canvas, and maybe you can't answer this because by default you are a librarian, so it will be there. <laughs> Is the library Canvas stuff available on a teacher's Canvas when they log in, or do they only see their own? <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like, like, like they were they enrolled, enrolled in, in our class classroom. or whatever? Yeah. yeah, that's tricky because I'm thinking of the teachers who I talk to sure. and I and I know that several of them were able to look at the content. But the problem is, like I'm thinking of teachers who also had students in our who had children who were students. Sure. So now I'm not sure if they were able to see it because they were a parent. Yeah. Or if it was because they were enrolled as teachers. So that's something oh, that's I need to follow up on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Because that like. I, I was in Rockwood for yeah. all but the final rollout, I think, of right. the Canvas right. stuff. Yeah. And so I never really saw that come to fruition. And now in Melville, we're at that point as well that we're we're on to the let's now start using Canvas. It's not yeah. totally <clears throat> mandatory right now, but I think yeah. probably for the next school year, it looks like that. Um, and that's always in my head because we are in between those two groups, right? We provide things for teachers and for students. Right. So it's not like 
the things that I'm making are for me. Right. And they're not necessarily for my students, although they mm -hmm. are, but they're also for the teachers that I'm working with to then, like you said, distribute to the students or to, or right. to be the kind of the, the middleman for those things when it's appropriate in that class, then a teacher wants to do that. In my head, I'm just wondering how does Canvas work with that? Or yeah. maybe it doesn't and we just kind of keep doing things a certain way. No, that's a great question. And my thought about that is I would, I would sit here and check, except as I was telling Dan when we sat down to record, of course, today is the day our Canvas system is down. Yeah. So I can't even pull it up while we're sitting here. Um, just to give people, I just wanted to run through really quickly an overview of the content though, before we be moved great. on. And then, so if you're not familiar with Canvas, one of the ways that it allows you to organize content is by modules. You kind of think of them as units or something like that, or topics. And so I just wanted to give people a list of what we had so that um, if, if they're thinking about this, they might develop something similar. We had video tutorials on each database in our collection. So it kind of, it had a librarian showing with a screen share how to access and then use each database in our collection, which was, we thought a good contribution for students who are learning at home. We had a module about the research process. So like some overview on general research project design and, um, best research practices, but also on how to structure a research paper that we, and Dan knows this from his time at Summit, that like we had, you know, kind of a research paper guide that had been built with the language arts teachers, I think, yeah. although probably a few years back. I mean, it's, yes. yeah. <laughs> and then we had a module on choice reading, like how to, how to find books that you might like. Again, mm -hmm. there were videos in here, like by librarians kind of talking through how do you learn what you like and how might you find more of that and resources that might help students find more books like what they've already enjoyed. And the last was kind of a library resource module that was about other resources in our library, as well as Rockwood students all have a St. Louis County Library virtual library card. So it was also about how you could access the county library systems, electronic resources. No, that's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> I am positive. I will have follow-ups. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, you, maybe maybe as you start working on yours, we could do another episode and talk about kind of what you're doing this year, what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. that kind of compares the thing. And, and if we can talk to other people in our districts or people that we know <coughs> in other districts and other yeah. places, or any of you listening at home that want to send yeah. us an email to librarymediachatter at gmail.com, let us know what you're doing on Canvas uh, yeah. or any questions you have, and we can kind of dig around a little bit more. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into the review. This Always. episode, we are talking about another gateway from Preston Norton. This is his second time, as far as I know. I think it's only his second time yeah. uh, in the gateway world. This book is called Where I End and You Begin. Uh, <laughs> the way I was talking to Sandy about this after I'd read it, and I, I wrote it down to kind of, this might be in a tweet later on. So if I uh, steal for myself, oh, well. Uh, I felt like I'm like Sandy. This book has everything. I felt like um, who's the the Bill Hader guy, Stefan. <laughs> this book has everything: eclipses, body swapping, insomnia, teens performing Shakespeare. <laughs> everything. It's everything. incredible. The yeah. amount of stuff. It's like Freaky Friday <laughs> crossed with 
whatever else you want to throw at it with yeah. eclipses and Shakespeare. Yeah, like a, I, I, I kind of thought of it as a queer Freaky Friday. Like that was kind of the way that I, and again, I use queer because it, I don't think it ever really settles on, is that how you felt? Like, yeah, yeah. which I found interesting. Um, okay, brief plot synopsis, although mm. man. It's hard. It's, there's, I, I just told you <clears throat> the things that were in it. So it's not like this is going to make a ton of sense. Yeah. So Ezra is our main character and he has a best friend, Holden. Ezra's crush, like long time love of his life crush. And these kids are in high school. So this is like his entire life Yeah. is Imogen. And her best friend, Winona, is like the devil as far as Holden is concerned. Yeah. Uh, she's always seemingly kind of in the way of Ezra feeling like he can uh, ask out Imogen or be in a relationship or whatever. Uh, it's, it's like two pairs that don't get along and very, very from the beginning don't get along. But it turns out that two of them because of the eclipse swap into each other's bodies and so then you're on the other side of the equation mm-hmm. and it turns out that there are crushes kind of on all sides mm-hmm. the the love in this book is not like oh Ezra's in love with Imogen we'll figure this out but right. in a lot of different directions and hijinks ensues can I just say that can I say hijinks yeah, it- ensues I think that is, it is a book that I think the the most effort was spent on it in making it zany. Does that seem right? Like where I am, I mean, I don't know, but like what comes through as the place that received his most attention was, how do I make this even zanier now? I thought the book was at times some of the funnier stuff I've ever read in uh-huh. YA. Like, like uh-huh. actually trying to be a humorous mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. that builds on these situations instead of being, I don't know. I feel like so much of it is built, so much YA is built around deepness, like fake depth. Yeah. Where you're like, how can we make it sound like being a teenager is so much harder? Because that's what right. kids will understand. Right, right. No, no, like this is built around awkwardness. And yeah. being a teenager and what that feels like to have a crush or to not be understood or to be in a weird situation, um, which I thought was at more often than not for me, mm-hmm. I felt was successful enough. Mm-hmm. I felt like he you're not wrong that he spends a lot of time trying to build that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like for me that that comedy worked as a as a positive in the <clears throat> story. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I think, so I like Preston Norton's work. I mean, I liked Neanderthal more than this one, I think. Okay. Um, and, you know, there was a term I heard about speculative fiction, but I think it applies here. You know, it's the weirdness factor. Like there's a certain amount of weird that yeah. each reader, and it's different for each reader, but that each reader will put up with. To me, For me, this book was past my weird factor. You know, okay. like it was too much too many different things, too many weird different things. Like he's not only body swapping and there's all this gender queer and gender fluidity and there's the Shakespeare angle 
and there's a lot of just like teen body humor and he does Johnny Depp makeup video. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it just kind of <laughs> kept going and, and Winona's dad like killed her mom. I mean, I'm, that's not really a spoiler, but like, I mean like, but there's all these things where I was just like, who I just needed like three of them, you know, like, sure. yes. So for me, yeah. it was too much. And I had um, forgotten about half of those things, by the way, since it's, I'd read a, it's the book, a lot, like, like the things that, that, connected to my brain were yeah. probably half of the crazy thing as you kept going yeah. i'm like oh that's right that was in the book yeah <laughs> and so again is it, it i agree completely that it is funny i think it he he it must be a funny person because neanderthal was also funny yeah i could see where neanderthal was i think a very good book for boys which i know is sexist and probably not everyone likes that I said that, but I think that it's useful to at least have it as a category, you know, to say there are books that tend to appeal to a majority of boys. I do not see this book working that way. I think Ezra is much harder to sympathize with oh, for, for the, the normal range of high school boys. You know, I don't, I don't see him being someone that they want to read about and a story, his story to be one that they want to spend time in. I, I will be happy to be wrong. <laughs> I'll be happy to be wrong. But that was kind of my thought about this book was it was not Neanderthal. And it doesn't have to be Neanderthal, but sure. that was just kind of my thought. So, so I, after reading the book, or it might've been while reading the book, but mm. I feel like it must've been after I was Sandy and I were at the circulation desk and I was trying to explain something, kind of think out loud. Mm -hmm. about the book and there's a moment because you're talking about the the fluidity mm -hmm. and the the way in which kind of you're not just getting like you said it's not just the body swapping but you have all of these other angles mm -hmm. that are being played that there's a moment in the book where Ezra and Holden are talking mm -hmm. after a body swap had interrupted something mm -hmm. that could have been played and at that point in the book, we were kind of past the, we're just going to play this up for humor. Right. And he was getting to the more like, let's actually kind of get through more of the story and kind of talk about what it means. There was a moment there where they have kind of a conversation and Ezra makes a comment about kind of what this means or who he is or how this kind of speaks to him. And I remember feeling like Dialogue mm -hmm. felt a little bit heavy handed mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. but I also wonder how would it feel if I was 15 mm -hmm. or 16 and mm -hmm. reading this book? So I'm yeah. reading this kind of zany madcap. This is hilarious. They're going back and forth and, and I love Shakespeare. So the fact that then he was bringing yeah. in Twelfth Night and I'm like, oh, that's going to be hilarious because that yeah. actually works and whatever. Getting to that point, would that have hit me as like, oh, I hadn't thought about that before. And that twists my brain kind of in a positive direction. Yeah. Whereas an adult and, and whatever that I read this and go, okay, I get it. Yeah, You could have done this without saying it. Right. Um, kind of in a similar way. I think we said that with heroin, that there were times right. in that book where I felt like, right. for me, you didn't have to say that. Yeah. But if you're writing for a YA audience, as we said uh, at the top, this is a podcast for old adults that read <laughs> YA. Um, as an old adult, <clears throat> what feels maybe heavy handed 
is exactly what that reader needs as the mm. kind of nudge. They don't even feel it. It's just like a nudge in a direction. Yeah. I mean, I think this would be a good book. So I, in my mind, this book occupies a similar niche to um, Symptoms of Being Human, okay. where it has, I think it does a very good job of allowing someone to understand what it might feel like to be genderqueer or non-binary or something along that spectrum in a way that is, uh, I mean, symptoms, I didn't think symptoms of being human, human was funny. This is a deeply funny book. I don't know. I, I'm, I think that it would probably work best in that sense of what you're talking about, where it might be transformative for someone kind of flip a switch or allow them to see this point of view. I think I would be surprised if someone who wasn't already sympathetic made it far enough in this book to have, unless it were assigned to them because okay. it is it is so strange from the beginning yeah that i just think a lot of people would put it down if they if they if they weren't already at least inclined to be sympathetic to what it might be like to be genderqueer or non-binary or something like that or yeah. bisexual or any of you know anything that's not normative heteronormative but again i'd love to be wrong <laughs> i'd love to be wrong no it's yeah. an interesting one. and it is long i'll just say that too it's 400 pages sure. which is long for a ya book yeah so i look forward to uh future Preston Norton's though that he yeah I agree two that I've read I've enjoyed yes for he he has a voice he has a voice he's funny I would certainly like to see more absolutely yeah all right so that's this episode readers nook we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back to wrap things up this episode is brought to you by bookmarks they mark your page in a book that way you can set it down without having to choose between losing your place or destroying the spine bookmarks doesn't feel like we're asking too much <laughs> hey welcome back to uh library media chatter and we are at the end of our show today we <laughs> had wanted to include our pe lit correspondent but she let us know in advance she would not be available for this episode via a cease and desist letter from her lawyer I guess that means we are all out of time. So until next time, remember, read responsibly, use a bookmark.